Welcome to Season 2, Episode 10 of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast for entrepreneurship community practitioners. This podcast is a production of Startup Space, an entrepreneurship community building platform. I'm your host, David Panraj. We're launching this podcast to highlight the stories of everyday community leaders who break down barriers to entry for underserved and underrepresented entrepreneurs. Today, we'll be speaking with Craig McMullen, President and CEO for the Center for Entrepreneurship Education and Development in Nova Scotia, Canada. Welcome, Craig. Thanks a lot, David. Pleasure to be here. So, Craig, tell us a little bit about your work and why you got into ecosystem building. Um, well, uh, as President and CEO of the Center for Entrepreneurship Education and Development, which we abbreviate as SEED, um, it, it it's a multifaceted organization. It started really 25 years ago with the concept that we wanted to change the entrepreneurial culture of the province of Nova Scotia. And that was really, when it was thought about, it was not best done with adults, it was best done with youth. And it, and it migrated out of what was then the Department of Education, which is now the Department of Early Childhood Education. Um, and really, the focus then was, 25 years ago, a very innovative thought that the, the belief then was amongst, and it's a still a sizable belief, that entrepreneurs are born. And really the thought that they were looking at was, you know what, this is a set of skills and behaviors and those skills and behaviors could be taught. Uh, unfortunately, um, one could really make the argument that public school systems are not most conducive to this thought of uh, teaching creativity and risk-taking behavior and leadership and, and teamwork and, and, and all of those things that go make great entrepreneurs. So they spun it out of, of the government and as a nonprofit. And then over the course of 25 years, that got blessed and got applied not just to youth, but to, to venture creation and those kinds of things. So where we are now is, uh, is an organization that deals with uh, still deals with youth, still runs after school programming, still runs uh, camps and, and so on and does some work with the school system. Um, but at the same time, we're also dealing with adult entrepreneurs. So on one hand, we're dealing with main street entrepreneurs, um, everything from personal services to consultancies and so on. And then also with the innovation driven entrepreneurs at the position where we call top of funnel, which is the idea to early semi-validated business model. And so we've been working uh, on that for a while. Um, four years ago, the focus was predominantly the Halifax area of Nova Scotia, which is the capital city. It's a province of a million people and half a million of them live around the capital city, which means you have this entire area geographic landmass that is rural. Um, so our focus over the last number of years has been also to extend out to that rural area, um, working with partners and so on. So, you know, really the focus has been sticking to our knitting, trying to find the the redundancies, uh, not, not add to the redundancies because there are redundant programs, looking for the holes, looking for the areas where we can make the network stronger. Um, heavy amount of collaboration with partners to, to deliver on that. Um, and success has been quite good. Uh, on the Main Street business side, we start over 100 businesses a year. 
uh, on the innovation driven side, we don't actually start, we, we start, but you know, they're not launched by the time they leave us, we hand off uh, to an accelerator program or something like that. Um, and that those numbers are growing as well. So the, the, the activity across the province is quite strong. Um, there's a level of excitement about entrepreneurship in Nova Scotia right at the moment. Um, but now it's time for the ecosystem to mature a little bit. So kind of what brought me to this point, I guess, is they asked me that when I interviewed for the job, what brought you to this point? And I said, look, it's really the culmination of a career. Uh, my undergraduate degree is in analytical chemistry. And I can remember when I graduated with it saying, well, that's great. What, what does somebody do with this? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I probably enjoyed my undergrad too much to go to med school. So I <laughs> went and got a job. Um, and I worked in labs for a number of years and, but I worked in the environment sector and that was a lot of service-based industry. So I actually requested for a while to come off the bench. I said, I want to join the business development side of things, realized that my passion was really business and entrepreneurship. So I went back to school, took an MBA, went back to school again and became a CPA. Um, but I transitioned out of labs into working with startups. So I joined a couple of uh, one company that had early stage venture investment and I worked as their VP of R and D for a while. I joined another one as their COO uh, and CFO. And then I worked with a number of distressed firms uh, to bring them back to life. And so when the opportunity came to come to seed, I said, well, this is, this is kind of what I do. You know, I, I, I like to help entrepreneurs, uh, I have a little bit of business ADD. So, you know, on any given day, I can be looking at five to six different business models. <laughs> so, you know, and it allows me to look at the, it allows me to help. I mean, the thing that I get the greatest joy out of is seeing the light go on for somebody, seeing that they're struggling with something and that you can give them the tool to walk through the ambiguity and coach them along. And, uh, and, it, it's been a fantastic ride for four years. And, you know, the other thing is, is that we have a really good team and that really good team works long hours, but we really enjoy what we do. And that, uh, that makes light work for sure. Wow. Fascinating. So let me ask you, given your ex experience in this incubation space, what are the key factors or what are, what are the hallmarks of a great business incubator? Uh, I think the first hallmark of a great business incubator is um, is a welcoming environment. Um, and what I mean by that is, is that we have entrepreneurs that come to us because they woke up one morning and said they, or they had a burning desire to be an entrepreneur, or I have this great idea and I want to be an entrepreneur. We also have people that come to us that, uh, that are becoming entrepreneurs by necessity, that economic uh, problems have hit them squarely in the jaw and they're either saying I can't find work or I'm never putting myself in that situation again. I want to be in, in control of my own destiny, but this wasn't born out of, I have a burning desire to be an entrepreneur. It's born out of more of necessity. And so in all of those cases, the common thing is they've decided to try this. Well, that puts them in a unique group of population because most of the population does not even decide to try this. So, you know, the first thing for us has been 
are we creating an environment where people can get those immediate questions asked where, you know, we look at it like a fire, you know, this is kind of like, there's not even kindling under this thing yet. It's, it's smoke and an ember. And are we going to be able to breathe enough life into that, that somebody is going to go, yes, I'm willing to try this. Now that's not to say they will, they will stick with it, but it is to say, I'm willing to bite it off. That's the first step. Second step is, you know, we operate on the basis of, uh, and if anybody's read the book or hasn't read the book, I would highly encourage that they do read the book, uh, Radical Candor. And, you know, the thing that we practice on a regular basis is Radical Candor, meaning we love you enough to tell you the truth, or we love you enough to ask you the questions that are going to challenge your thought process. Because in many entrepreneurial pursuits, people come from a solution space, which means they're coming at it from their opinion. Well, their opinion is not a market. The market of one doesn't exist. So they need to go for, you know, full on full body contact with customers. Well, that also means you're going to hear some things that you might not like hearing and, you know, how are you going to pivot and all that stuff? The third thing is, is they have to have, they have to have, uh, meaningful, valuable support. And, you know, what I mean by that is Seed, as an example, invests an awful lot of time and money in its staff to ensure that those people are experts in what they're doing. And I, and I mean that not just from experts in terms of the subject matter, be, you know, be it uh, lean startup or finance or, or those kinds of things, also in terms of how they deliver. And that's one of the key things that's, uh, that separates seed is that we've never walked away from our roots in education. So every time we look at a program, we look at it in terms of the content and those kinds of things, but we also look at it from adult education or, or if it's youth, youth education principles to ensure that not only is there a transfer of content, but there's adequate time and opportunity for that content to percolate and be used. Um, and I guess the fourth part is know the limitation of your incubator. And what I mean by that is an incubator operates on the basis of in the front door, there must be a back door. <laughs> you know, people need to either graduate or they need to exit. And if they exit, did they exit with an experience that allowed them to go, okay, um, this is not for me, or this idea is not going to work and I might try it again, or I really wasn't an entrepreneur, but now I know some things about myself. And if they exit because they've graduated, where's the easy handoff to the next spot in their development? Are they ready for launch? You know, if they're an innovation driven company coming through us, they're not ready for launch yet. They're ready for something else. So, if they're moving off to an accelerator, can we do the soft landing for them on the other side and hand them off? You know, we use this phrase internally that it takes a community to raise a startup. And, you know, that's really the, the focus of, of what we're trying to do, you know, but some of the wins are not necessarily, you know, high profile exits are fantastic and the business operating is fantastic, but sometimes it's just self-realization. You know, one of the greatest, successes, and I use that in quotation marks, was somebody who came to us, an entrepreneur 
somewhat out of necessity, but some very passionate about this idea that they had. They pitched the idea. We make it a policy to go, well, it's not our business to tell you whether your idea is good or bad or indifferent. That's the market's job. But we're going to put you in a situation where you're going to do that. So we started off putting them through customer discovery and started asking them pertinent questions around hypothesis. And they were in the program, I guess they were probably here about five, six weeks. And then one morning, before I even came to work, my cell phone rings. And uh, Craig, this very excited voice on the other side of the phone. And I said, Craig, you got a second? I said, sure, Jan, what can I do for you? She said, I just wanted to tell you, I really appreciate everything that you guys are doing. It's been a fantastic program. And I know exactly what I have to do to make this idea work. And I said, that's great. She said, and I'm quitting the program. I went, okay, <laughs> how do these things equate? And she said, I know exactly what I have to do to make it work, and I'm not willing to do it. And I said, okay, I guess that's a success. And for us, it's been a success. So then she came back to us and she said, what I really want to do is she had this passion for finance. And she's, we made a couple of phone calls, got her some connections. She now works for one of the banks. But she's been a great source of referrals to our loan program. And she said, anytime you ever want anybody to give you guys a referral, and I'm going, how do I package a referral for somebody to quit? But, but, but you know, that's really the, the essence of this is that we fundamentally take the approach that business, if you choose to create a venture, is fundamentally a human pursuit. You know, yes, money is a reward. Yes, there's all kinds of other tangible rewards, but it's fundamentally a human pursuit and it starts with the human. Really well said. So I'll focus on one aspect of that human pursuit, uh, which is uh, around wealth creation. So I'll just take one facet of it. Uh, the reason I want to bring it up is because a lot of the things that you've said will resonate with our, uh, with our audience. One of which is it's not a born skill. It's something that you learn, right? Like, it's not like you're a born entrepreneur. You could be born into wealth, but you're not born into entrepreneurship, right? You learn it over the course. And in fact, my failures have given me a lot more lessons learned than success because success can be serendipitous at times. Failure is very hard, right? Failure, you have to actually go through it. Uh, and so I've used failure to be really good guardrails of what, you know, what I should be aware of at all times. Um, the other thing that you talk about, which is technical assistance, right, which is what Seed provides, is so critical because uh, even if you have the funding, if you don't know how to create cash flow statements, if you don't know how to do customer discovery, if you don't understand how to forecast sales, right, those are all things that are going to be significant hurdles for you, even if you're well-funded, right? Yeah, so so all these things resonate so much uh, in terms of what you've shared today, but talking specifically about wealth creation, how do you help entrepreneurs? And I love the story about Jen that you shared, right? The idea for me of entrepreneurship is about human pursuit and learning about yourself and learning about you know what you're good at and how you can be better. But also in a lot of cases, uh, it is about wealth creation and breaking generational poverty where you don't want to lose your shirt in your very first idea. Right? You want to steady yourself for that big idea. How do you teach that uh, in business incubators? Because there the metric is about success and ventures that came out. How do you change that dialogue? Well, I think one of the things that we do to change it is start, start off with the concept 
that, and it's very easy to say, that failure is part of the process. You know, one of the things that we do very quickly, and, and, and everybody who's in the incubation space has probably seen this slide before, but there's this, there's this thought process in the incubation space that, well, this is simple. You know, you have an idea, then you write a, do some market research, usually secondary market research. Then you write a business plan and then, you know, you launch the thing and then you sit back and the money rolls in. It's a straight line and anybody can do it. And anybody that's been in the space goes, yeah, sorry, that is not how this works. And so we have the slide that says, oh, here's the, here's what everybody thinks. There's a straight line. Then we have this other one that goes all over the place and folds back on itself. And what we tell them is, is, look, that's reality. And so the first thing to learn is, is we're going to take you through a process where you're going to experience failure. And some of them are going to be small failures. You know, you're, you're going to make an assumption. You're going to go to market and market's going to go, that's not true. Or that's not what you think it is. And so we put them literally face to face with customers. Then we force them to come back and admit their failures in front of their peer group and say, okay, well, what did I learn? Well, I learned that I was wrong. And in some cases I'm so wrong that it requires me to pivot. In some cases I'm so wrong, the whole thing is invalidated. So the, but the first thing that we tell them is, is a lot of these questions and a lot of the thought process surrounding business failure is based in that old model because that old model said, look, I'm going to go and I have this idea and then I'm going to get a bunch of secondary data and write a business. Then I'm going to go load myself up with debt or clean out my savings account or my credit cards or whatever. And I launch this thing. And fundamentally what it comes down to is, is that this was all unvalidated, statistically manipulated data and what they ended up doing was hitting the squiggly line after launch. And they tried to fix the plane while the plane was in the air. <laughs> right? So the, the point is, is don't, don't launch the thing until you've gone to market. And this is the beauty of, of lean startup. If done correctly, because there's not a lot of, there seems to be an awful lot of shortcuts sometimes where people shortcut through the process. Um, is that you go directly to market without a product. You go to learn about customers without a product. You go to talk to them about their problems. You don't go to them with solutions because what you've done is you've, you've closed off. You've got tunnel vision now. You're trying to defend your solution rather than truly understanding the problem. And then a lot of that can be done at very, very low cost. But you can keep the financial risk to a minimum. And particularly if you take a very deliberate approach. Now, there will come a time where you got to put some skin in the game. And that's different for every entrepreneur. Dollars to some people is a lot of money and to other people it's not. And it's all relative. And given Seed's experience, we're dealing with all aspects of entrepreneurship. But the point is to de-risk the model as much as possible before you have to go down that road. And that's fundamentally the, the big thing for us. Now, the, the other side of it is, and the biggest challenge that we have with entrepreneurs, I think, when we talk about wealth creation, you're fundamentally dealing with the issue of, um, 
of the money side of things. And the biggest challenge that I've identified over the years is when I first came to Seed, we had seven modules of training that one way or another was accounting or tax. Now, I'm a CPA and I can tell you there's no entrepreneur that needs that much accounting and tax. They need to know enough to one, to read their financial statements and know that stuff. And they need to have enough knowledge to have an intelligent conversation with their bookkeeper or their accountant. But they don't need to know debits and credits. So, but what they also need to have though is they need to have a level of financial literacy. And, you know, given our background in education, I guess this is probably the underlying fact is that this is a fundamental failure of, of the school system is that people get to the point where they want to start businesses. Well, if you want to start a business and you want to create wealth, but you can't actually manage your own credit and you can't actually balance your own checkbook, best of luck to you, <laughs> you know, because there's a level of discipline that, that comes with this. So we've actually, we are rolling out this year a, Two years ago, I said, I want to do have this module on entrepreneurial finance because uh, I, people just don't understand how to read financial statements, how to work with their accountants. But the other thing they don't understand is, is how do I pitch for debt? How, how do I approach a bank? What, what things do I have to have in place? Or if I'm going for equity investment, what, you know, what does that look like? Like we sell venture capital, like that's the next big step that a business needs to have without entrepreneurs truly understanding what the risks of venture capital are. You know, what are you giving away when you get in with a venture capitalist? Because in some cases, if you really want to operate this business, you personally want to operate it. No, maybe VC is not the way to go. And these are not speaking of discussions that should be had at the early stage. So when we were planning this out, then I came back and I said, okay, we need another module. And they said, what's the other module? I said, we need a prereq. And the prereq is, is that we need to talk about personal financial literacy for entrepreneurs. You know, because you can't have, you can't talk about wealth generation. Because wealth generation means when does it flow into your pocket? Well, let's talk about your pocket before you start putting the company's money in it. <laughs> right? And start making some decisions at that point. You know, it's amazing to me the number of people that will put together a financial model that doesn't actually have them paying themselves. And you ask them why, and they'll say, well, that's sweat equity. Well, okay, but how are you feeding yourself for the next you know, couple of years? Because this is gonna be the hardest job you're ever going to have. You're taking on a great deal of risk, which means there should be an expectation of a great deal of reward. So it, again, it means coming back to those early stage questions and saying, what are your goals for this? And challenging those goals, because in some cases, you don't want to get into the situation of subsistence entrepreneurship. Because in many cases, you look at the amount of hours that an entrepreneur will put them and say, the business is, the business is operational. Well, what's the assumption? The assumption is the entrepreneur is making some cash. There's plenty of entrepreneurs out there that are stuck. The business is operational. They've got a bunch of money invested but they can't walk away and it's not making enough money to justify their effort. 
where did that fundamentally go wrong? That fundamentally went wrong in the, in the initial concept of the business. It fundamentally went wrong in the decision as to how much you were charging. It fundamentally, which then ties back to what was your decision with regards to what kind of value you were creating or what market were you entering? It's really about putting that wealth generation goal, what you're hoping to get out of this, right at the point where you say, what's the problem? What's my solution? And how am I pricing this from the perspective of reflecting the value and making sure there's a margin there for me, because that's what business is all about. Brilliant. In fact, uh, I think every entrepreneur should go through business 101 before starting, right? Because you'll save yourself so many heartaches uh, and only 1% get equity funding. At the end of the day, we are taking this 1% and glorifying it and we're masking all of the other challenges to capital access. And, you know, if I'm a banker, even more than your credit score, I want to know your cash flow statement, right? Like your credit score could be whatever. I want to know if you understand the fundamentals of how you're going to get paid. A hundred percent. Like we often, I often tell people, look, there are three financial statements. The one that everybody jumps to right away is the income statement, the profit and loss. And of the three of them, that's the last one you should look at. <laughs> I, I only, in fact, you know, we're a small business. I only look at profit and loss. Now we're changing it because we're growing really fast. But for the yeah. first two years, I only looked at profit and loss at the time of filing taxes. Like right. That's the only time I cared about it. My, I, but I would look at my cash flow statement every day. Every day. Because I wanted to make sure that the money that went out and the money that came in was locked in, right? That there were no surprises Absolutely. because... I lose that cash flow and my business is dying. I can be unprofitable for a couple of years if I can manage my cash flow. hundred percent. Right? Yep. And that's the challenge, right? You know, there's only three sources of cash in a business, but only one of them leads to sustainability, which is cash from operations. But in the, in the initial stages, if you can manage the cash from investing and the cash from financing, you know, either debt or equity, then you can get through. But you need to that that's where the income statement comes in. It's like, OK, well, the cash from operations line is not increasing. Well, now look at the income statement because there is the problem. But in most cases, that's the last thing people want to look at. And history is littered with businesses that died with paper profits, you know, profits that were there. Oh, look, there's profit on the bottom line. Well, there's no cash in the bank. <laughs> yeah, And then the cost of cash, right, by the time and the, the, the big thing that people don't teach you is that by the time you realize you need cash, your cash now costs two or three times as much. 100%. You had the cash, your cash, you could have get for pennies on the dollar. You could go back and refinance when you have the cash. When you're out of cash, nobody will give you cash because they're afraid you are not going to give them their cash back. That's right. You're, you're too much of a risk at this point. So, you know, like one of the things that we do very early on is we say, okay, how many of you are going to sell on credit? Because there's a, there's, the first bailiwick they have to deal with. Then of all of you that are going to sell on credit, how much of you going to buy on credit? And then it's usually the same group. And then we say, okay, let's just go through a simple exercise of you bought this on credit. And now let's track all this through. That it was a, root, a direct expense. You track it all the way through. And you start talking about the realistic, yes, you can put 30 days on an invoice, your chance of collecting it in 30 days are laughable, it's going to be 45, it's going to be 60. And you realize that they, when they come to the realization that they expended cash and say on June 1st, 
and they don't actually get that back on some of these scenarios to, you know, 90 days, you know, 120 days later. And then you show them, okay, but now how did you finance that? Well, you financed it in the line of credit. What was your interest in the line of credit? Well, this is how much money you lost just because of that stretch of time. That's a discussion that we have very early stage. And there's more than a few people, unfortunately, where I'm looking at, I'm looking at a lot of white eyeballs as they get very, very wide and going, oh God, I never really considered all of this stuff. And then you start talking about how do you collect accounts and tell stories about old bosses and the way that, you know, died in the wool entrepreneurs as to how they collected accounts. And they're like, you do that? You have to do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? A hundred percent. Yeah. Like almost everything that we do in this business, Craig, I learned not to do from my previous business. Like, you know, and this time around this, you know, uh, either through failure or through like what you have set up where you tell stories of people like me who failed so that you don't have to relive it. You know, you can say, Hey, that guy went through it. I'm telling you, so you can skip that step uh, and, and get it right. So uh, we could go on for hours. I'm loving this conversation, but I'll, I'll, I'll close with one question. If you look back at your career and, and had to go back and tell yourself one thing about this work that you would start differently or you would continue or stop, what is that one piece of advice you'd give yourself because our practitioners could really benefit from it? Uh, the, you know what, the, the, it, it's not something that I would stop, uh, but it was something I came to a little bit later than I should have. Um, I came into this space out of private sector. I made the mistake for a little while of, of saying, I'm going to push my, my private sector mentality off and quickly realized that's not serving anybody. Um, so now, uh, I think the thing that I think that the greatest success that we've had over the last four years has been making the conscious decision to say, look, our nonprofit status is an arrangement between us and the government, but that's not how we operate. We operate with a private sector entrepreneurial mentality. We walk our own talk. We talk to our customers. We let's run an experiment. Well, that screwed up. Okay. Well, we didn't kill anybody. So, <laughs> you know, um, we'll, you know, we launch programs all the time with the express intent of we want to create value, but, you know, we're going, well, we think this is going to work. Well, you can't go out and talk about it. You have to go and do it. So we'll go out, we'll attract a cohort. We'll tell them up front, congratulations, you're in to do some customer discovery. Guess what? We're doing it too. So at the end of this program, we're going to, you know, you're going to give us brutal, radical, candor feedback that we're going to use to improve this thing. Um, and that we're committed to providing you value, but we're going to be very entrepreneurial about everything that we do. So, you know, really, it, I can get along with anybody. The people I have the most difficulty getting along with is hypocrites. So it doesn't make any sense to me to go off and be preaching about entrepreneurship and you should do this and you should, well, you know what, dude, are you doing it yourself? And so that's that's the approach that we've taken. We've, we've been very, uh, you know, we can be somewhat controversial. <laughs> There's no two ways about that. 
Uh, there's some rooms where we're, you know, where we were the guys that are a little bit disruptive. Uh, but we don't make any apologies for that because it all comes from the standpoint of we're serving our customer base. And for us, our customer base is very much uh, the entrepreneur and the taxpayer that funds our programming. And we need to be able to defend defend what we do to both. And that means we have to walk our own talk. I, I love it. In fact, that's one of the reasons why you're using startup space is because uh, and I built startup space because I came from the private sector and I found that in the world of nonprofit, we didn't talk about ROI and we didn't talk about measuring to improve things. And if you're going to improve something, you got to measure it. So I think this would really resonate with our audience. Uh, and thank you so much for coming on the show today uh, and sharing your thoughts. Uh, we should do another show down the road where we actually kind of, you know do it in person and celebrate the Nova Scotia ecosystem. Uh, but thank you for joining us today. Thanks a lot, David. Really loved it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast for entrepreneurship community practitioners hosted by David Polraj. Special thanks to Craig McMullen for joining us. Show notes by creative director Jackie Dietrich. Edited and produced by Lauren Bernard. If you'd like to suggest interviewees, new topics, or just want to reach out, please email us at podcast at startupspace.app. All Breaking Down Barriers episodes are available on our website or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Feel free to rate, review, and subscribe for all the latest updates.